When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello and welcome to Changes. It's Annie McManus. So this week, I am delighted to bring you a conversation about change with someone who has created a huge amount of it firsthand. Billy Porter is at the absolute peak of his powers. For his work in the incredible Netflix series Pose, where he plays the ballroom MC Pray Tell, he has won an Emmy. He was the first ever out black man to do so. For his work on Broadway in Kinky Boots, he's won a Tony and a Grammy. He's just released a critically acclaimed memoir called Unprotected. He's also wrapping up directing his first feature film and he's got new music coming out, returning to his real first love, his first vehicle, his voice. So yes, like I said, Billy Porter, a man hugely in his prime, bossing it on just about every creative front imaginable. And he's been such a visible and loved figure for the last few years, walking up red carpets in staggering ball gowns, gracing our screens with the most memorable characters that it would be easy to assume that Billy has always been a mainstay of the entertainment world. But that couldn't be further from the truth, actually. And in fact, the Billy Porter that you see before you now is the product of such a huge amount of turmoil and trauma and healing. I could tell you about some of that, or I could let the man speak for himself. Believe me when I say he needs absolutely no one to speak for him. When I spoke to Billy, he was in New York City, ready to unveil this film he's made to the world at a screening later on that night. We had such a good conversation. Let's begin. Enter the podcast, Billy Porter. I do this thing on this podcast where I recommend a song that kind of aligns with the themes of the conversations. And it would be very rude not to recommend your own song, Children, <laughs> in the context of this conversation. Yeah. How has it felt making music this time? Has it felt different? You know, it's interesting because it's like that is also a balance as well. Right. Because I'm going to be very honest and very transparent right now mm -hmm. and very, very vulnerable. You know, I had an R&B record contract back in the 90s. And it, was, it didn't go well. Right. You know, and being black and gay in the music business in the 90s was not a thing. Mm. Lil Nas X was not a thing. Billy <laughs> Porter was not a possibility. It wasn't a thing. Yeah. And so it's interesting because as I was growing up, my singing voice was my savior. My singing voice was my weapon. My singing voice laid the groundwork for me to get out of my trauma and, my, and the trauma and the circumstance of my youth. And it saved me from everything. And the first time that my singing voice did not save me was when I was singing in the music business. Mm. Well, that says a lot about the music business. Yeah. And so I have worked through it. You know, all these years later, it's magical to be back in the space 
to have done it anyway. Whatever it is, I did it anyway. I'm doing it anyway. I will continue to do that. It's interesting because it's like, you know, I have major record companies, two Mm. of them Mm. on opposite ends of the world who are working in tandem to really give me the recording sort of career pop star, I guess, career that I set out to try to have and dreamed of all these decades ago. And so that is the greatest part of it. So I'm just trying to be present for it, you know, be present for, and I'm grateful to have had the time and the space to live long enough to know what works for me and what doesn't. Mm. Mm. To see the traps coming before they even get, I get it. (laughs) I've seen it, I've lived it already. So I can say or no to things from a place of power Mm. and understanding Mm. and wisdom. Yeah. And wisdom. Thank you. And, you know, the thing about children and I will recommend it, you know, (laughs) the thing about children that I love and the thing about this music that I love is that for the first time in all of my musical evolution, this is the first time as like a mainstream pop, R&B, soul music person, that the actual music is exactly what I want it to be. And it's not filtered through the lens of some A&R people or some music executive who thinks that they know better than I. Mm. And that has been great. Mm. And lyrically, like thematically, it is so you in terms of this song, in terms of just what you what you seem to live by those rules and and, and that that kind of belief system. There's a quote uh, in the song, not a quote. Well, there's a lyric that says a change starts today. Better wipe those tears away. And this this conversation is all about change. And I wanted to ask you, Billy, what is your relationship to that word change? It's a really great question. Um. Tony Kushner writes in Angels in America, the world only spins forward. Change is the only thing that is constant and consistent in our lives. There's an old R&B song. Well, to me, I know it's R&B called Everything Must Change. Everything must change, nothing stays the same, cause that's the way of time, nothing goes unchanged, there are not many things in life you can be sure of, except rain comes from the clouds, sunlight up the sky, and hummingbirds do fly. You got an impromptu song because- Fuck yes. But that is, you know, I heard that song for the first time when I was 14 years old. Mm. You know, it resonated with me in such a profound way because the trauma 
that I was living in at the time required me to be able to dream beyond my circumstance so I could get out, which meant I had to believe in change. I had to believe that change was inevitable and that change was coming. I don't want to pick and poke and probe at your trauma, but can you give me some context there? A little, like just for those who don't know, well, I'm going to give you some context and I'm going to send you to a place to get it. Your local bookstore. Ah, yeah. Online. Uh, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the memoir. The memoir. Out, the memoir that came out almost a month ago called Unprotected. Mm. Mm. Apparently to rave reviews. I don't read them, but I did read the New York <laughs> Times because my publisher said, you deserve to read it and you deserve to treat yourself to, a, to oh, read a good Billy. idea. Billy. Uh, a review. So, you know, it's a great review. It's getting great reviews. Yeah. It's about my life. Yeah. Um, it's a memoir. You know, I lived through a lot of trauma in my childhood. I came from a very religious family, the Pentecostal church, you know, where, you know, being gay was an abomination and AIDS was God's punishment. Um, mm. You know, I was molested by my stepfather from the time I was seven to the time I was 12. You know, I came out at 16 in the middle of the AIDS crisis where sex equaled death, having sex equaled death. It was terrifying. It was traumatizing. And um, I've spent the majority of my life, you know, trying to figure out how to heal it, you know, trying to figure out how to heal the traumas and hopefully be a light for somebody else who may be going through something similar, um, right? That's what we're supposed to be, right? Um, especially as artists, um, I feel like, at least for me, that's that's what I feel my calling is. That's what I feel uh, my purpose, my duty, dare I say my ministry. I talk about that in the book, mm. you know, using that language from the church, that language is from the church. Mm. That's churchy language. Mm. You know, there's a calling on your life and there's a ministry, you know, that is beyond me and beyond my ego. Um, you know, I've been blessed with the gifts and I am so grateful and I want to use them mm. in the right ways. And so I'm trying to do that. And that process of writing down your life, you know, writing as a writer, as, as someone who writes also, it can surprise you. It can, it can tell you how you feel. It, it shows you your truth when you don't even know yes. your truth. How was that yes. for you? Yeah. I mean, you just said it, you know, it really, uh, you know, it makes one really have to focus mm. and look at one's existence and for me, it helped me organize right. yeah. thoughts. It helped me organize a response. It wasn't just a bunch of feelings out there with no mm. organization. I think, you know, as a Virgo, I need organization, you know, and it's interesting to be reading it. I'm reading it right now for the audiobook. And can and you can first, you feel like removed from it? Can you read it like No. No. You too. Yeah. I do not feel removed from mm, it mm, yet. Mm. You know, I'm in the process of healing. I'm still in the process. Yeah. I'm in the process of releasing all of the fear, um all of the shame 
you know, that came along with being queer and black and growing up religious and, you know, the HIV, you know, the, the HIV AIDS of it all. And, um, you know, quite frankly, me having HIV and, mm. you know, the shame of that and, you know, releasing that this year and, you know, finding a space to breathe, finding a space to breathe, even talking about it, you know, yeah, makes me very emotional. Um, There's a quote in an interview you did where you talked about the moment where you told your mother that you had HIV and you said it had felt like a hand was holding my heart clenched for years and it's all gone. Yeah, it does feel like that, you know, and when the only posture you know is living inside of scarcity Mm. and lack Mm. and shame, when the abundance comes, and the shame is gone. Yeah. You still got to get used to it. Yeah. You know, you still got to, mm. you know, believe in it. Mm. Um, do you? Believe that it's real. Yeah, I do. I do. It's still a, um, I'm still learning how to do it. I'm still leaning into it, leaning into joy. And that also means understanding Mm. and honoring who I am. And that can be uncomfortable sometimes. Right. On the outside, it can be uncomfortable for the person, but it can also be uncomfortable for how one is perceived on the outside. You know, we live in this cancel culture now, we live in this social media culture now, and, you know, everybody thinks that their opinion matters. Mm-hmm. You know, many live in this inside of this fake space mm-hmm. that means a lot to many people. And there's a lot of like, you know, I'm new to this celebrity thing. You know, it's a, it's, It's intense. Yeah. It's really intense. I have so much more compassion. Not that I didn't have compassion before. Mm. Excuse me. But I have complete compassion Mm. for the young people who become famous and are thrown into this. Right. Yeah. Sea of pariahs. And what have you felt in terms of public perception of you and how it's changed over the years? Well, I think first and foremost, there's still this idea that fabulous and serious don't go together. Mm. One can't be fabulous and serious at the same time. Mm. And I just shatter all of that. Mm You know, I shatter that. And um, 
you know, I'm very fabulous. I've always been fabulous. You know, I've always been, it's just always been the thing that I am. I own that now. Yeah. That's a hard thing for somebody, some people to receive from, from you when, yeah. when a person who's in their power understands who they are and can speak that back. There, there's, there's a, you know, it, that makes people uncomfortable. It makes some people uncomfortable, but I've learned specifically in the last year, I have to know exactly who I am and honor that so that I can be the change that I'm trying to be. I mean, you are at the forefront of smashing through conservative traditions. Just your very existence is right. is a rebellion against right. society's norms in everything just that you do. Up. Just showing up, just getting out in of bed in the morning. Room. Yeah. So in so, my authenticity, before that took you open your mouth, years. <laughs> it took me 52 years to get here. So therefore, I'm going to honor it. I don't know how much time I have left on this earth. You know, I have, I have fought for this space. I have earned it oh, with every yeah. fiber of my mm. being. Mm. Mm. Every single solitary moment of my life, I have worked mm. to be sitting in front of you and having this conversation. Mm. You know, and as a result, I look out into the world and I understand intention. I was watching um, Oprah a couple decades back and she had Maya Angelou on and Yonla Van Sant and they were talking about intention and service. And they said, right. when you shift your intention to service, mm. everything else will work itself out. I did it that day. I asked myself, what the service look like in this industry, mm. in this world that is inherently narcissistic? Mm. What does it look like? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's my queerness. It's my queerness. It's the thing that everybody is telling me is my liability. And it was for decades. It was when I chose it. Mm. I wasn't working. Mm. I wasn't working. You had a long period, was, right? Where, yeah, where things were going on. I was on the brink on. of the obscurity. Nobody was interested in my black faggot ass. Mm. Yes, I said it. Mm. Yes, I said it. Black faggot ass. Because mm. that was the dismissal. Whether you said it or not, whether the words were spoken, the intention behind how I was treated and how I was dismissed was that. What was the point in your life? What was the moment when you decided to live for yourself? Well, it was a culmination. You know, it was the end of my recording career. Yeah. After having lived in the space for about six or seven years, worked on this album, Billy Porter Untitled, you know, I thought that the powers that be 
knew more than me. And so slowly but surely, I acquiesced to things that in my heart and soul, I knew I probably shouldn't. And after five or six years, I was a shell of myself. I was a shell of what I had come into the space with. And my album was released and it flopped. And I didn't, I looked at it and I realized I didn't even fail as myself. I failed as somebody else and that will never happen again. And I walked away, it blew up. And I was like, I don't, wherever I go, it is gonna be on my own terms. You know, so it was a combination of my record company doing some shady shit and I left over it, like the kind of shady shit that you leave over. So I left, you know, I didn't like where my trajectory was going inside of the, of the theater community. So I left that too. And I was just out here, you know, I was just out here looking for my voice, trying to find my authenticity and really trying to make choices that were about my integrity, intentional and of service. And when you look at my career now and you look at how it has manifested, my simple waking up in the morning and being my authentic self, like we said, is service mm -hmm. to so many. Do you remember the first thing professionally that went the way you wanted it to as you being you? So I was in a revival of Greece on Broadway with um, Rosie O'Donnell and uh, Megan Mullally from Will and & Grace and a bunch of people and whatever. And I was the teen angel and, um, you know, it was a, it was a great opportunity and it was bittersweet because, you know, they turned me into a clown. They turned me into, you know, I say in my book, a little, I was prancing around like a little Richard automaton on crack. White space suit, 14 inches of orange rubber hair on my head, orange glitter on my face. You know, it was like, I don't, you know, the white man in the movie just had a pompadour and a white suit. So why as the black actor, in this role, do you make me look like a fucking coon and act like a fucking clown? Like, why is that happening? And the duality of that with like being happy to be in a Broadway show, being 24 years old, being, you know, you know, I did the arrangement. It was a real focus on me. I stopped the show, all of those things. Yes, 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 yes. And simultaneously, the pigeonhole was so deep. It took me until 2010 to get out of it. And so, you know, while I was doing that, I was disenchanted. I didn't understand why. Everybody was talking about this new play called Angels in America, written by Tony Kushner. I took myself on a date to see part one. For those of you who don't know, it's in two parts. So I went to see this play. It's about the AIDS crisis, blah, blah, blah. Go do your research on that. But there was a Black 
gay character by the name of Belize, played by the brilliant Jeffrey Wright, who was the first Black gay man I ever saw reflected back to me in anything that looked like me, that thought like me, that was educated like me, who wasn't the butt of the joke, who wasn't you know, the vilified one, you know, the abomination one. And it was transformative. It was transformative, you know, and I realized, oh, that's who I am. And nobody knows. But I have to get to that. As an artist, I have to get to doing work like that. That's the kind of work that I want to do. So I extracted myself from everything. I walked away from the Broadway thing. I walked away from the music thing. I went to LA. I lived out there for two and a half years. I had like three auditions. So, you know, I lived on the precipice of obscurity for about a decade, you know, and bankruptcy, diabetes, HIV. Jesus. And that was all within a short space of time, all of these things, right? That was in 2007. February was diabetes. March was bankruptcy. June was HIV. Um, But I had already been on this, you know, road for seven years at that point. And I was just, Mm. you know, it was really, really hard. And then... There was a revival announced off-Broadway at the Signature Theater here in New York City for Tony Kushner's Angels in America. And uh, I booked it. And so I returned to the theater and the very thing that changed my perception of what I could do and who I could be. So... That was very profound to me. Um, and I did that for about a year off Broadway. And then Kinky Boots. <laughs> kinky Boots. And Kinky Boots. Tony Awards. Like, you know, and when that was announced, I thought, hmm. Mm. And that's what I've been waiting for. That's going to be mine. And that's next. There was never... It always felt like to me, this is what I've been working for. This is what I've been Mm. working for. This is why it's taken so long. I needed to be prepared for this, Mm. for a time such as Kinky Boots, for a time such as the revival of Angels in America, where there was finally an actual gay man playing the gay role. There was actually a black gay man playing the gay role. No shade to none of y'all. Everybody's great. Everybody was great. But there was an actual gay man. It's like the first fucking time in a mainstream production of that play. It's fucking crazy. So there's that. And then there's King Foods that comes along. And, you know, the uh, description was a black cross-dressing boxer. Translation, a straight man in a dress. Is that what you're saying? 
a straight man in a dress. Okay. Mm. So I didn't say nothing about it. I just got the gig. And then from, and then, you know, from Kinky Boots, there were some years in between, but then Pose came. Yeah. What, what did Pray Tell, the character of Pray Tell, what has Pray Tell kind of done for you? Healed me. Freed me from all shame. You know, I had a lot of shame. And shame is a, a silencer. Shame is a murderer. And I was dying a very slow and steady death. And I needed, I needed something different, you know? And so when the idea of Ryan Murphy doing a show about, you know, the black and brown trans community ballroom culture of the 80s, once again, I knew, even though there was not a role for me, that I was going to get it. And I knew that whatever the character was going to be, it was going to be a character that could stand in proxy for my own healing, because I understood even before I did it, and without having real words was that my generation had lived through something that we had not even processed. You know, it's like true to American form, true to everything. You know, especially in America, we want to act like it didn't happen and just move on. So the antiretroviral drugs that we fought so hard to get came in 96. And it was like it never happened. So not only did I get to remind the world that this actually happened and I was a part of it happening, but I was able to be at the center of retelling this story and reminding the world and healing myself in the process, processing my trauma, processing my grief through the proxy, through the proxy of Pray Tell. Yeah, I've heard you, you talk about him like a, uh, as a surrogate. It's fascinating because Pray Tell has HIV in the storyline. So you're living out this, this, this other person's life. It's just so fascinating. And then, of course, you you went on to win so many accolades off the back of your performance as Pray Tell, and Pose is so huge and so brilliant. And if you're listening, you must go and watch it. It's on Netflix. And now you've announced to the world this thing that you've held onto for 14 years, since 2007, your HIV. How does it feel to be accepted? How does acceptance feel? You know, I have to talk about that word acceptance. There are two words whose power 
um, I have needed to retrieve. And that is tolerance and acceptance. To be tolerated and to be accepted means that my value as a human being on this planet is based on somebody else's thought about me. No, I'm done with that. I don't need anybody to accept me. I don't need anybody to tolerate me. This is my truth. This is who I am. And you will respect my humanity or there's the fucking door. That's it. I kind of want to stop. I want to slap the ground right now. I'm done having conversations about it. I'm done Mm -hmm. watching governments and institutions put my humanity up for legislation. Every single day of my life, my humanity in this world has been up for fucking legislation. Y'all can kiss my ass. I will validate myself and I'll show y'all what that looks like. We have to teach people how to love us. We have to teach people how to treat us. We have to teach people how to value us. We have to teach people how to honor our humanity on this planet. We have to teach them how to do it. And it's okay. I'm ready. That's what I'll do then. Biddy, where do you get your strength from? Your resolve? There's a fuckload of it in there. You know, my mother, you know, my mother is disabled. And I've watched her fight her entire life to be seen. I've watched her show up for her life every single solitary day. You know, we moved her into a nursing home about six years ago. And the biggest fight we had moving her in there was that they weren't getting her out of bed early enough. So don't leave me in this bed till 11 a.m. You get me up at seven when you wake us up. I don't want breakfast in bed. Get me up. You know, she has no mobility. So she has, so she's required to depend on everybody else for everything. She's like, get me up. We fought for them for the first month about that. They were like, get me up. Get me up. You know, she's like, I need to engage in the world. I need to be out of this bed. Even if I'm not leaving this building, I need to get out of this room. If that's the only thing I get to do, then I need to be doing it. You know, that's my mother. That's where I come from. That's the only thing I've ever known, you know? So it's a very, that I, you know, I don't know. I didn't have a choice. You know, it was like, it was like, do it or die. Like, It's life or death. The stakes have always been life or death for me. And I chose life. You chose life. And you're about to go to the 
screening of this film that you're directing and your book is out and the music yeah. is out and everything's manifested. Yeah. It's so wonderful. Yeah. It's so wonderful. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I am beginning to be able to say, yes, it is. <laughs> well, thank you, Billy Porter. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your song and your words of wisdom. I'll really treasure this conversation. Honestly, I, I really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. My pleasure. What a man. What an icon. Billy Porter. Wow. There's not really much to say. That conversation had my jaw on the floor. He is so charged, such a force, just so full of life. God. Follow Billy in everything you do. Go watch Pose. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, go read the book as well, Unprotected. And that song of Billy's I recommended at the top is called Children. He worked with um, Jade from Little Mix and Emily K on it. Uh, this big disco stomper of a tune. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. So like, subscribe, pass it on, leave a review post about it. All of that is so, so welcome and so, so appreciated. And next time on Changes, we're bringing you a conversation with a octogenarian legend, Prue Leith, TV icon, another fashion icon. So looking forward to speaking to her about what change has meant to her over the years. That's next week. Changes is produced by Frank Palmer and we'll see you then. 